It's Doc Jacques, your addiction lifeguard. I am on the beach of life, out to watch the waters of misery and addiction. If you feel like you're drowning in that that ocean of misery, addiction, and suffering, all you got to do is raise your hand or yell for help, and I will swim out and get you and bring you back to shore, to the living, to the sober, to the clean. Join me as we explore and try to better understand what it takes to get into recovery and live a clean, sober life on the Doc Shock Your Addiction Lifeguard podcast. A lot of things have been coming up recently from clients that I have where they seem to have family members and they themselves as addicts have a misconception of what addiction is about. It seems that there's a lot of issues around believing whether or not addiction is an actual thing or if it's this other thing. So it's kind of like that uh, Robert Peterson confusion theory of a thing is what it is. It's not something else. So I wanted to talk today about what is addiction? Is it a moral failing or is it an actual medical condition? It seems like it's a medical condition, except if you're trapped in the uh, misunderstanding phase of addiction where you think it's a moral failing. Two completely different approaches to that treatment if it is in fact not a moral failing. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor.fm. It's a free podcast platform that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. So what happens when you run into a family member who thinks that they believe that addiction is a moral failing? Well, I'll tell you. What happens is they start to talk to you about how there's a common cause of it, and it seems to be on the behavior. So if a person stops the behavior, then things will get better. So they treat it like it's a moral failing. In other words, if, if you don't understand that addiction actually is a medical condition that is life-threatening, you're not going to see it as something that's serious. And, and so the, you minimize what happens as the outcome of the addiction. And that gets translated into how the addict themselves also sees the addiction because they're ashamed and embarrassed. So then they're told it's a moral failing as well, or they believe it. And then that's what they take on. So it almost becomes impossible to get somebody to move towards recovery in any kind of an effective means of treatment because it's a moral failing. So in other words, if you just stop the drug of choice, then everything will be fine. 
So they can't stop. And that's the problem is that they can't stop. So there's no way to establish uh, um, uh, a ready and, and viable means of treatment because if they only see it as a moral failing, then they're going to be hidden. Uh, that's going to be hidden in their shame. So we don't want them to believe that it's a moral failing because it's actually not, um, whether they're doing whatever drug of choice, <clears throat> but it's not a moral failing. It's a medical condition. It has a diagnostic code. It has a diagnostic criteria. It has a diagnostic, uh, uh, there's, there's, there's evidence of it happening. We can see it. There's it usually it's around loss, right? Loss of housing, loss of money, loss of job, loss of spouse, loss of friends, loss of health, loss of freedom. That's the, that's the generally what the, the diagnostic criteria is based on with the exception of if you're dependent and certainly if you're dependent, it's going to move into withdrawal when you're stopping of any kind. And I'm going to talk to you about what withdrawal looks like or how to determine that because that's misunderstood as well, but uh, a little bit later in this podcast, but um, it's also about having to, to use more and more of that substance to create that same high. So <clears throat> if we're looking at uh, addiction as a medical condition rather than a moral failing, we're not judging the person. And that's probably the most important part of this whole thing is the the idea that you have to judge the person, which, I, you know, we do as a society. We certainly do that uh, to make moral decisions about things. If a person is eating uh, an unhealthy diet and they're eating in excess, then what happens is the person gains weight. I mean, that's typically the reason why, at least in this country. And so then the person gains weight and it's noticeable. And we have a large percentage of our po adult population and certainly a child population as well who is overweight. And so when you see that person who's overweight, that's when you begin to judge. You think, oh, failure of willpower, failure of character, uh, bad person, lazy, not intelligent or whatever. And, and certainly that, that it changes the way that you view that person's problem and it's a visual. So you see the person, you may not even see them consuming food, but you would you look at that person and you make those assessments. And I'm not saying everybody does that, but a lot of people do. And so then it ties into the idea of it being a moral failing. They, they didn't have uh, the ability to back away from the table. Well, addiction is really actually the same because we know that there is a problem with uh, compulsivity around food, the same as other substances. Um, it's just that it doesn't chemically alter the brain. Um, and I know that there are some chemical alterations when you're consuming fat and sugar. Yes, I understand that. But uh, it, it, it is an assessment that is the same when it comes to drugs and alcohol, but even more of a moral failing because that person then is neglecting their family members or their loved ones or their job, uh, their responsibilities. If you're high and you're high all the time, certainly you're not going to uh, be engaging in successful work. You're probably not going to be engaging in successful relationships. Perhaps things like paying bills and those kinds of things, they fall by the wayside. So then you become homeless or you get fired or you end up in jail or in the courtroom or in the hospital because you've done some damage. So we see that as a higher level of moral failing, I believe, 
And that higher more that higher level of moral failing then becomes a trap for the person who has that addiction because they feel shame. And their shame is in their circumstance, not just their physical well-being, their physical presentation of what they look like. If you look at people who have certain types of chemical dependency, they're going to have visible signs of that. If it's alcohol, perhaps their liver is starting to fail. They end up getting jaundiced or bloated. Uh, they're also the physical appearance of what happens when you drink excessively with your face, your eyes, uh, you, you start to, uh, stop engaging in things like physical activity. So perhaps there's some weight gain or excessive weight loss, uh, disproportion of the, the way you look, your limbs or whatever. And that can be a problem. Yes. Um, depending on the drug needle marks. You might be picking at your face, have a horrible face, a gaunt look, circles under your eyes. We've all seen the pictures on the internet of people who are crack or crystal meth addicts, and they uh, they certainly don't look very healthy at the, the worst of their addiction. Heroin addicts typically do not either, um, nor alcoholics, or for that matter, almost any drug. However, to move away from the idea that the, the moral failing aspect of it is probably one of the toughest things I deal with in my practice. And that's been going on now since the pandemic has uh, started, what, almost a year and a half ago now. Um, and so people are sitting at home and they've been drinking. Uh, I've, I've been getting a lot of, a lot of problems with alcohol. Um, it seems there are more of that than there is uh, the drug usage, at least in my practice. Um, however, the person who has the issue of, uh, addiction, the moral failing portion of it is the one that seems to be the hindrance to getting that person into effective treatment. Family members don't want to have an addict in their household, uh, in their midst, in their history. And that's a problem because if they, if they have that, that means that there must be something wrong with them. So they, they take it on as a, as a personal reflection of them. Um, sometimes it goes to the extent of being narcissistic. Um, like you're an addict and you're now embarrassing me. <clears throat> the addict, a lot of times is embarrassing themselves, they think. So then they hide and don't show up to things. So that contribute all these things contribute to that moral failing position, um, that everyone seems to take. I'm here to tell you addiction is a medical condition that needs medical attention and medical treatment by clinicians, not well-meaning family members or friends who think that they can talk them out of it or, or do some, some kind of magical thinking where they can get them into stopping their behavior because that's embarrassing. You're, that's shame on you for doing drugs and alcohol. So those well-meaning loved ones invariably get it wrong and it prolongs the addiction. Sometimes it even further entrenches that person into addiction and they become even more resentful or whatever. And that's an issue. So trying to get out of that, that horrible cycle of addiction and treatment and avoidance and addiction and avoidance and addiction and avoidance, 
really comes down to, can you do something about your viewpoint on addiction? I wish, I wish there was something I could say, the magic wand to wave over people to, to get them to stop with the positioning of moral failing in their judgment of the addict. I just can't seem to come up with what it is. <laughs> the magic wand. I don't have one. If I did, I would wave it over every single family member that I ever talked to on the phone. I did a Zoom session or I was able to meet in my office because I think it would help save lives, honestly. And it would shorten the life of the addiction and lengthen the life of the person who is an addict. You are not morally corrupt. You are not morally weak because you have an addiction. You have a medical condition and it needs treatment. Just like cancer, just like a heart attack, just like a broken bone, just like a skull fracture or anything else. It's a medical condition and it needs to be treated clinically. Period. Exclamation point. <laughs> so let's chart trying to turn away from the idea of moral failing. They are not weak people. As I tell every one of my clients that comes in the door, you know what? It's not that you're a weak person. You're actually a very strong person. Most addicts are very strong. We certainly know they're strong-willed, right? Because they will fight you the whole way getting into recovery. That takes a lot of willpower, a lot of thought. And they're very intelligent. Usually their drug-addled brain gets all soggy and they get wet brain. If they're alcoholics and they don't make a lot of sense sometimes, but they're, they're really smart because you can't be stupid and be an addict. You do stupid things. They're, they could be, you know, smart people doing stupid things, but they're not necessarily stupid people doing stupid things. Creating the illusion around them that everything's fine when it's not. Man, that's a lot of work. So willpower? Oh, they're chock-a-block full of it. And uh, so I tell my addicts when they come in, you're not, you're not a weak person. You're actually a very strong person. You just don't realize that that strength is what's going to help you because you've been using it for evil, not for good. Your willpower is your asset. It's not your failing. Stop being embarrassed. Hold your head up high. Be proud. Don't be ashamed. You came in for help. That's awesome. But the family members seem to be on the opposite side of that. They can't take care of themselves. They're embarrassing. They're weak. They don't need to go to treatment. And they just fall in line with what the addict says, which is, I'm not going. I'm not going to get into recovery. Don't fall for it. It's a lie. They've got you bamboozled. Just don't fall for it. I love it when people reach out to me and by people I mean loved ones not addicts but loved ones when they reach out to me and they're trying to sidestep 
the whole process of recovery and move right to the end. And it happens every week, every single week for the last nine years, I'm going to say. Uh, even though I've been in practice longer than that, but I, nine years, I would say, I, I started taking notice of this. It would contact me, reach out and say, hey, I'm calling for mother, father, brother, sister, husband, wife, and they need help. And so I say, okay, what's going on? And they tell me, they say, uh, they're getting out of, getting out of rehab or they're, uh, they need help because they have addiction and they're just getting out of detox. It's one of those two out of, out of rehab or usually out of detox. And they want them to come to see me. Uh, they saw me online. They heard my podcast. They saw a YouTube video or they saw my website and they think, you know what? This guy, he knows what he's talking about. Look at all these certifications and licenses he has. Wow. That's impressive. He must know a lot about addiction. And I read his stuff on his website and really spoke to me. And I, okay. So what are you, what are you looking for? So they want to go from detox to seeing me once a week. And that's what their recovery plan looks like. And the person who's calling me isn't a clinician and it isn't the addict. And it's not somebody doing their aftercare planning for the addict. It's a family member. And my first question is always, so why are you calling me? And they will give me different ex excuses as to why. But I'm sorry, I don't make appointments through third parties. That's what they get greeted with. And that's news to them. Like, oh, that's strange. So you may be asking yourself, so how do you get to the point where you can get it away from moral failing to medical condition? Well, first, you got to make sure that you understand that it's life-threatening. Addiction is life-threatening. Almost all forms of addiction left untreated will result in a death caused by addiction. So if we treated it like a medical condition and we took it seriously in that way, we'd understand that, you know what? Morality has nothing to do with it. It's not failure of willpower or morality. It is a medical condition. And the saddest part of what I deal with is when people don't treat it like a medical condition and they don't take it seriously, whether it's the addict who is basically out of their minds because they're crazy or because the family members want to pretend like it's not happening because they're going to be all shamed and embarrassed if somebody finds out. We don't think that way about other things, maybe cancer a little bit, because nobody wants to walk around with no hair and they look kind of sick and frail and everybody knows, ooh, they have cancer. But with addiction, it's all about, gee, I wonder what, what, what went wrong. Where did they fail? And you know what? We can talk about that at some point in recovery. Yeah. But uh, to get somebody into that place where they need some help and get that help, that's a different story. Got to get them the medical help that they need. Get them in front of a medical professional. The first thing that I have as a problem usually is trying to get somebody to uh, even admit that they've got a problem that needs advanced care of some type. And they don't want to go into what they consider some kind of prison situation, like they're in custodial care. They can't take care of themselves and go to detox. God forbid you should do that. 
So they go to detox and then they don't want to go to counsel or they don't want to go to uh, rehab because that's where the shame starts to set in. You can hide going to detox for a few days. Hey, I'm going to go on vacation or I'm only gone for five days. Who's going to notice? 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days. Can't really hide that so much. So that's really kind of where the obstacles fall. It's in those lengths of time when they've got to be gone for actual real treatment. So is it a moral failing? Usually seen that way, but it's really not. Is it a medical condition? Usually not seen that way, but it is. So the first step in trying to get somebody to get help is to look inside yourself and understand, what am I looking at? Am I looking at somebody and thinking, wow, they're weak, they're sad, they're pathetic, or I'm embarrassed to be around them, or I'm embarrassed to be associated with them, or even worse, I'm embarrassed to be related to them. That must mean there's something about me that's wrong because I have that as a relative. You know what? You do have them as a relative and you've got to learn to be compassionate and understanding because compassion is where help really begins. If you looked at that person and you really saw that what they were doing was suffering, then you'd want to reach out and help them. If they fell down and broke their arm, would you think that uh, their, their inability to keep their balance and fall off that chair was a moral failing? No, you wouldn't even think a second thought about it. You'd rush over and help them. People need help. They want help, but they can't admit it, but they need help. So let's help them. Let's stop with the moral failing nonsense and get back into what it really is, which is a medical condition that's life-threatening. Stop looking at them as being embarrassing. Be compassionate. You know, as a, as a Christian, I look at people and I feel for them first. I feel for them. I feel bad about their situation, but I feel for them. If they have a medical condition, I feel bad for them for having the medical condition. If they have addiction, of course, because I'm a clinician, I'm looking at it like they got some problems because I know that because I treat them. But that's the difference. I treat them. (laughs) I don't judge them. They're just like us. They're like everybody. They have problems. Their problems just happen to have been medicated with some kind of a substance, typically, unless it's a behavior like gambling or whatever. So they engage in that substance and they don't know how to get out of it. So I think the compassionate way to deal with them is to try to help them understand that what they're dealing with really and truly is they're sad. They've been abused, almost all of them, and this is how they feel differently. They want to get out of their heads. They want to get out of their heads. They want to get out of their pain and misery. And you judging them because they have this moral failing is not helping them. It's actually making them feel worse. So if anything, you're contributing to their addiction by judging them and deeming them guilty of having a moral failing. So let's get off that. Let's make a change with that. Let's begin to see them as people. That's what that's what uh, that's what the Bible says. That's what it says in Scripture. We got to judge people fairly. 
not be judgmental. I make that distinction when I'm talking to people. I, you know, don't be, don't be judgmental. That's a negative thing, but we're all judging each other. We're determining what's going on. The sad part is the only determination that usually happens within a family, usually, not always, but usually is they're weak. And like I said previously, they're not really weak. They're strong. They're the strongest people I know. They have endured incredible amounts of pain and agony and suffering, and they have survived. And now that survival is plaguing them. It doesn't matter if you're a combat vet or if you're a housewife. Suffering is suffering. So if we can move away from the idea of it being a moral failing, perhaps we can do what we're directed to. Reach out and help each other. So let's from now on look at addiction as a medical condition. can be treated by a clinician or two or three or four, and it needs specialized treatment by a specialist, not a cousin or a mother or father who's cocooning the addict down in the basement or hiding them in their house or just letting them roll around on the floor and ignoring Let's not do that anymore. Let's be compassionate. Let's care about each other. And we can heal if we do that. Well, that's it for this episode of Doc Shock, your addiction lifeguard. I hope you learned something. I hope you got something out of this. And if you did, great. If you need further help, don't forget. You can always reach out to a professional. You can go to detox. You can go to a meeting, an AA meeting, NA meeting, SA meeting, whatever A meeting. You can call a professional. Go to the emergency room. Don't die. Go to the emergency room. Don't be embarrassed. You can go to the emergency room. Go to a a rehab center. Check in. It's easy. All you got to do is just call them. If you want personal touch help, you can reach out to a counselor wherever you are in the world. It doesn't matter. There are people out there that can help you that specialize in addiction and recovery. You can reach out to me. I'm on a, on the web, on the interweb, at wellspringmindbody.com. And if you do reach out to me, I'll try to help you. Remember, it's not how many times you fall down that matter. It's how many times you get back up. And please, don't save your addiction by ending your life. It's just not worth it. See you next time.